The scripture reading for today comes from Mark 4, verse 35 through chapter 5, verse 20. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and, the, and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, "'What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God?' I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. And the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country, and people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion, sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim and the Decapolis, how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. But it's a delight to bring the word of the Lord to you and to reflect on it together. And uh, before we begin, uh, uh, or before I begin, uh, let's pray and ask God to apply the word to our hearts. Lord Jesus, we come to you as the good shepherd, and we ask that you would work in our hearts. We have heard your, read, your word read. May you make it fruitful as you've promised. Fill us with your spirit. Give us understanding. Give us delight in you. Help us to understand how much you love us. 
In Jesus' name, amen. In the great children's book, The Silver Chair, uh, written by C.S. Lewis, uh, you, you might know this story, Jill Eustace and a marsh wiggle named Puddleglum are given a task. They are to seek the missing prince, Prince Rillian, who has disappeared. And later in the book, we learn that he has become enchanted, that when he's first met, that you don't know it's him. It's sort of this quiet knight uh, in full armor who's not speaking, not saying a word. But as things progress, we learn that what's really going on is a witch has put a spell on him. And he's only fully himself for about an hour a day, during which time he's tied to the very chair that uh, really supplies the power to this curse. And the trouble is he's tied up, so once his moment of sanity passes, he goes back to being fully under the control of, of this witch, of this spell. And so he is completely unable to do anything to help himself. And without spoiling too much, I'll say they do help him. But this is a man who had no control, no ability, no ability to save himself. And today in our text, we meet such a man. Uh, we come to a man who is living a nonstop nightmare of an existence. And into this horrid, waking, or walking nightmare comes Jesus. Now, as we look at ourselves, uh, we come from different places spiritually, but I think there's a great difficulty of understanding that there is a God who gets involved, who works in power, but even more so, uh, some of us fully understand the power of God. Uh, I grew up in a Christian family, and so I, it has not been a difficult thing for me to understand God's power. But coming to terms with the depth of love that Jesus has for me. Well, that's a little harder because how could God be that excited, that passionate, that fully committed to, to changing who I am and making me into some, someone beautiful through his power? And yet, this text demonstrates both the power of God, the power of Jesus, and the immense love of Jesus that goes contrary to everything that this man really is. Our first point, I titled A Quick Trip Through the Storm and in, Into Pagan Country. And you may have noticed, uh, I'm sure you did, we read the story of Jesus calming the storm. And there's, there's a sermon there that we're not getting into. There's a wonderful story of Jesus in his humanity being so tired, so exhausted that he does what I can never do and sleep while traveling. And not only is he sleeping while traveling, he's sleeping while being rained on in a storm that terrifies professional fishermen. So we see the humanity of Jesus and we see his power as he shuts down the storm with a word. And we see the disciples come to terms with that. But I included it in this text because it's really the prelude to what comes next. And 
there's almost a sense in which this is a sermon on the first and last moments of this text. Now I'm going to address everything in between, but when we look at the text, you start with verse 35. On that day when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And then at the very end, uh, verse 18, and as he was getting into the boat, you go ahead one verse past our text, and he's already back where he started. And as I was studying this, uh, I think someone else brought it out, but it really struck me. Wait, Jesus gets in a boat, goes to the other side, never really makes it past the beach, and then goes back. Well, that's interesting. Why do this? Why get into the boat? Jesus could have done what he did at other times. Okay, let's get in the boat. I'm tired. I need a little bit of uh, time to rest. Uh, We'll just lay anchor, and then we'll go back in the morning. But instead, he goes across. And he goes into a very strange place, this country of the Gerasenes. This is not part of, of Judah. This is not uh, holy, the Holy Land. This is Gentile territory. And it, when you're reading the New Testament, anytime you come across Gentile or think about Gentile, Gentile really means pagan because you just don't have a category of people who are not Jewish but really love the one true God. You have a, a few people here and there, uh, God-fearers who have come in and, and they're, they're interested. They are committed to God. But otherwise, these people are worshiping Baal or Zeus or, uh, or uh, Isis or uh, Asherah and all sorts of pagan gods. And Jesus goes there. And you see, you know, you don't have pig farmers in Israel. Uh, it was just something you didn't do because, of course, they were unclean animals. And so why would you have them? You wouldn't. And so we are in uh, pagan territory. And if you were a Jew hearing this or reading this or watching Jesus, you would certainly be going, what are you doing? Why are you going over there? That's the wrong side of the tracks. That's, you, you just don't go there. Plus, there's a raving lunatic uh, who is scaring everyone. I, Jesus, why don't we, why don't we go back? Um, we'll stay on the other side of Galilee where the, where the good people are. But Jesus goes anyway. And I'm convinced that Jesus may have known exactly what he was doing. And certainly either Jesus knows or the Holy Spirit knows and is directing him. And I suspect even if Jesus didn't know, this is exactly why I'm going, I'm convinced that when he got there, his knowledge of the scriptures would have uh, let him know, oh, this is what's going on. And as I was getting ready for this sermon, uh, 
there's a reference to Isaiah 65. And if you have your Bibles, you can follow along or you can just listen. This is Isaiah 65, 1 through 5. And listen to this. And listen to some of the the little similarities to our text. Isaiah 65. I revealed myself to those who did not ask for me. I was found by those who did not seek me. To a nation that did not call on my name, I said, here am I, here am I. All day long I have held out my hands to an obstinate people who walk in ways not good, pursuing their own imaginations. A people who continually provoke me to my very face, offering sacrifices in gardens and burning incense on altars of bricks, who sit among the graves and spend their nights keeping secret vigil, who eat the flesh of pigs and whose pots hold broth of impure meat, who say, keep away, don't come near me, for I am too scared of you. Such people are smoke in my nostrils, a fire that keeps burning all day. And now as we heard this read, we have a reference, a people not my own, uh, a reference to sitting among the graves, to pigs, and to go away from here, uh, all of which overlap with our, with our own text today. And so here on, in Isaiah 65, you see a connection, and that lets us know this is not accidental. This is purposeful. Why do that? Why do all this? Why take time? Jesus doesn't have a lot of time. Why take the time to go across the lake? He goes to save one helpless pagan who is lost. And this is exactly what we read in other passages. Luke 15, 4, talking about Jesus as a shepherd. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? Here you have Jesus heading out into the wild, into the frontier, and going after a man that no one could help. And so it's worth asking, do you doubt that Jesus cares for you? Uh, it's easy to think that he does. Life is hard. We go through a lot of trials. There are a lot of prayers that we offer with passion, and we hear the answer no, and some yes. Does Jesus care? And there's one sense in which we can say rightly that we are as bad as this, this man, but it's also worth saying that if Jesus will take the time to go after someone who is so lost he will do the same for me. He will do the same for you. And that brings us to our second point. The fury of demons, a man dehumanized. When we come, when Jesus comes, 
to the, the other side of the lake. He lands, and immediately, a demon-possessed man runs to Jesus, screaming out. Again, as I thought through this text, uh, the demons, better than anyone else, know what's going on. And what happened right before this? There was a crazy storm, and then there was no storm. Even if they didn't have any kind of supernatural perception, the demons would have been like, wait a second, there was just, there was just an incredible squall, and then suddenly nothing? We know who this guy is. It's a little bit ironic when the disciples who have been spending time with Jesus are terrified and say, who is this man? And the demons, well, they know. And they run up and address Jesus. And uh, we see um, as they come, uh, they, they cry out and they say in verse 7, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the, uh, of the most high God? And the term, interestingly, that they use uh, most high God or God most high is also a, a Gentile way of talking about God. It's uh, uh, El Elyon in Hebrew, and that's what Melchizedek, uh, he's called a, a priest of God most high. Uh, and so they use this non-Jewish name, but they recognize who Jesus is. And there's this attempt to try to get some control or at least some leniency from Jesus, but they know from the very beginning Jesus has come and he is in control. And when they cry out, they may be trying to rattle Jesus to kind of gain the upper hand. We know who you are. Uh, when demons cry out, one of the strange things to us, oh, as we read, Jesus tells them to be quiet and you know, I think, well, why not? Let him, let him speak. Let him know everybody, you know, everybody, this is Jesus, son of the most high God. But Jesus is careful with his timing and in other places doesn't want people to figure out this is the king because once people try to make him king, he's very close to the cross. And so he's in control of every moment. But they come and possibly out of desperation, knowing that they're doomed, possibly out of an, an attempt to, to gain a little control of the moment, they cry out. But of course, they can't. They can't overpower Jesus. They can't take control. Now, one other little side note before I continue is that when it comes to this kind of, of person controlled by demons, this is something, if you are a believer in Jesus, if you have the Holy Spirit, you don't need to worry about demonic possession, control, or anything like that. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Uh, there are some Christians who think that can happen, but based on this text and others, we don't have to worry. But here, you have a man who, either because 
he invited them or because he was overpowered. The text doesn't really say, but certainly you had paganism going on. And in the ancient world, you had drug use and you had people seeking a higher plane. That kind of stuff happens. And this man has not just one demon, but enough that they refer to themselves as legion. A, a legion is, depending on when you are, uh, about 6,000, maybe 8,000, maybe as low as four, but you're in the thousands. And this man, because of the work of the demons, had been brought to a place where he was barely recognizable as human. Uh, he met all four of the ancient criterion for being considered insane. Uh, they didn't have the DSM, but they had the Talmud. And uh, according to the Talmud, there were four characteristics of madness. Walking abroad at night, spending the night on a grave, tearing one's clothes and destroying what was given. Uh, this man demonstrated all of them. And then when you look at the description of people trying to help him, the word that they use is um, in verse 3, and no one could bind him any for, anymore uh, with shackles and chains, uh, but he wrenched the chains apart. He broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. The word there uh, in Greek is a word that you don't use for, like, getting your children to behave well. This is a word that you use if you're going to do something like lion taming. This is taming a wild animal. And so no one was able to tame him. Everything had been tried. They tried binding him with chains. He broke the chains off. Uh, he was beyond hope living his life, exiled from people, harming himself or being harmed. We don't know exactly what's going on. Is this the demons hurting him? Is this him trying to take back control and perhaps end his life? Uh, it doesn't really say, but certainly the result is that this man is battered and he's living a miserable life painful, lonely existence. Theologically, we could say that this is total depravity on full display. Total depravity is the, the teaching that apart from God working in us, we will never seek God. We will never be able to do righteous things on our own. That we, we need the Holy Spirit. Romans 3 point, paints the picture of what humanity is apart from God, that uh, Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Earlier in that text, it says, you know, we're evil. Our throats are like a, an open grave. Uh, we are utterly lost. And so here it's worth asking, 
Do you feel that you have gone too far? When you think of Jesus and approaching him, do you think, well, I'd like to come to Jesus, but I, I'm not good enough yet. I need, to, I need to clean up my act a little bit. I need to work on a few things, and, and, and then I feel like I can come. This is a man who could never have come to Jesus on his own. And so Jesus came to him. Do you feel that you're too much of a sinner? This is a man who his sin is, is obvious to everyone. And yet Jesus goes to him and Jesus saves him. That brings us to our third point. The good shepherd, grace and life to the helpless. John 10, 10 through 11, says that the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Here we see Legion certainly came to destroy this man. But Jesus comes. And just as Jesus brought peace to the storm, he takes this broken man and with a word restores him, makes him human again, and gives him life. Now before we get there, the demons come and they, you know, they throw themselves at God or at, at Jesus' feet. Um, they understand they can't win. So they try to make a bargain. And uh, they have this request. Don't send us out of this region. Uh, in one of the parallel texts, they, they ask, don't send, it, don't send us into the abyss. In other words, Jesus, don't send us to hell before judgment day. We don't want that. And strangely, Jesus allows them to do what they do. And uh, when it comes to Americans looking at this text, one of the, the big deals is, well, what about these poor pigs? Uh, it's a, a very common question. Why would Jesus let these demons do this to these animals? And I think one of the answers we get is Luke ten thirty one, Jesus saying, you are worth more than many sparrows. As expensive as these pigs were, this man is worth, worth much, much more. Now, some have also suggested that maybe Jesus is purifying the land, uh, but unclean is not evil. The pigs aren't evil. Uh, it's just if you're a Jew, don't eat them. Um, but they're fine. Um, others suggest maybe they represent the Romans and I just say, yeah, no. Um, but I think one answer that seems to make sense to me that I came across is we're in pagan territory. If you were a Jewish person and you just witnessed Jesus cast out a demon, well, you had categories for that. Okay, this is someone working in the name of Yahweh, and of course, of course they did that, and 
things are good. Well, this is, this is Gentile, pagan territory. And so it, I suspect that the answer would have come. Are the demons going to come back? Either he's going to ask that or someone else in the, the village. Like, can we really bring you back? Or tomorrow are the demons going to come back and, and we're going to go through all this again? But this man would be able to say, you know, someone said, well, where did the demons go? Oh, they went off the cliff into the lake. Well, how do you know? All well, the pigs went crazy and, and ran off. Um, one commentator says this, the death of such a vast herd of animals is a dramatic sign that Satan's kingdom is crumbling and his house is being plundered. And so it would have been a very clear message that they would have been able to understand Jesus is in control and Jesus has triumphed and this man is now free. Now you might think, well, the people would rejoice and say, Jesus, that was amazing. We've been trying to help this guy for ages. But that's not what they do. They want Jesus to leave. Uh, why? I think part of it was money. Um, if you can imagine, you know, you go to the car dealers on Cushing Parkway, and if Jesus had come to a, a crazy person uh, camped out on the street and, you know, grabbed his hand, pulled him up, and suddenly all the cars explode. Well, the owners probably would not want Jesus to stick around and help anyone else. Would have been like, this is going to cost too much. And so that may have been part of it. This is bad for business. But I think there's more to it. When Jesus calms the storm, what happens? Verse 41 of chapter 4, And they were filled with great fear. And said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Well, here you've had something even more bizarre and powerful. The, demon, uh, the, the disciples are afraid of Jesus after he calms the storm. The pagans are afraid when he casts out the demons. Who is this guy who can just tell demons to leave with a word? We can't handle that. Well, what is all of this about? Jesus is showing mercy and bringing life to the helpless. As I mentioned before, some of us doubt that God cares. And here we see Jesus absolutely loves this man and gives him back his life. And you may find you know, doubt rooted in shame or guilt. How could God love me? I'm too broken. I'm too sinful. I'm too polluted. You may think you've used up the grace of God. But that's not what we see from Jesus. Jesus doesn't say, all right, son, I've given your, your life back. Don't you ever do that again, you despicable, ungrateful, terrible person. No. Like the father does to the prodigal son, Jesus clothes this man and welcomes him. 
Romans 5, 6 to 8. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Do you feel that you are beyond hope? Look at the demoniac, this demon-possessed man who wore his sin outwardly, whose shame was visible to everyone, and yet Jesus restores him and saves him. There's a great quote by Martin Luther. So when the devil throws your sins in your face and declares that you deserve death and hell, tell him this, I admit I deserve death and hell. What of it? For I know the one who suffered and made satisfaction on my behalf. His name is Jesus Christ, Son of God, and where he is, there I shall be also. Put another way, Satan, you're saying I'm too sinful for Jesus. You don't know the half of it. I've got more, but Jesus died for all of that, and he died for you, and his grace is free, and there is no limit. Now, you also might be someone who, who is a Christian, who is struggling, as we all struggle with sin. And you may say, I want this kind of dramatic transformation. Well, it has already taken place. 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, or, or he is a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. Now, yes, we continue to struggle. I'm sure that this man probably had bad days, but Jesus remade him, and he is not the same afterward. You may be frustrated that your Christian walk is not as smooth as you would hope. I know I am. Or you may wish that you were bearing more fruit, but you are already a, a new creation, and of course, we should seek the fruit of the Spirit. But no, you are loved, you are accepted, and God is at work. Well, one of the last things that I'm going to address is, what's the deal with Jesus saying, no, you can't come with me? Now, to everyone else, he's walking around, follow me, follow me, come with me. Here you have a man, Jesus, you just saved me from Thousands of demons. I owe you everything. I want to follow you. Let me come with you. And Jesus says, no. You're going to stay behind. And you might think, what's that about? Well, he didn't turn him away as a statement of unworthiness or rejection. Uh, yes, it's true. This man is probably a Gentile. And there are times when Jesus will say, like, I haven't come out for, you know, who am I to, to throw the, the bread of the children to the dogs? Um, and the woman responds, but even the dogs need the crumbs. But here, the important thing is that he doesn't send him home as punishment. 
He sends him home as an ambassador. He gives him a job. He gives this man who had lived for quite a long time a purposeless life. He gives him purpose. What was his job? Tell others what I did for you. Verse 19, and he did not permit him, but said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has mercy on you. And he went away and began to preach, uh, to proclaim in the Decapolis. Decapolis is the 10 cities. It's a little like the tri-cities, but there are more. Uh, He began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. Jesus comes, heals one man, gives him a job, and this man becomes an evangelist to 10 cities. And it will bear fruit. In our own lives, it is our understanding of the grace of Jesus shown to us that will be proportional to our zeal to tell others. Here you had a man Can you imagine anyone coming up to him and saying, tell me the story of what Jesus did to you and him saying, eh, it's a long time ago. I'm kind of tired of telling that story. No, I used to be the crazy guy up in the, in the cemetery. Uh, You might've heard me screaming. Jesus gave me life. And if we think of ourselves as like, yeah, Jesus is kind of my helper. We won't be as excited as we should be if we understand the depth of the grace we have been given, that Jesus has taken me and given me life and given me purpose. Then, no, it won't always be easy to share, but we will have passion Yes, there is a command in the scriptures to make disciples and evangelize, but the starting point is that we need gospel renewal in our own hearts. And we get that by understanding Jesus more, by understanding what he's done in our own hearts and in our own lives. And then that will begin to overflow as the Holy Spirit works in us. Let's pray together as we conclude. Lord Jesus, you didn't have to cross the lake. Would have saved you some trouble. But you did. And you calmed the storm. And you cast out demons for one man. And you didn't have to come down out of heaven. You could have stayed on your throne, created new people, And spared yourself tremendous suffering. But you loved us. And had compassion on us. And you saved us. Lord, help us to understand that. For any here that don't know you. Open their eyes that they may see. For those of us who do. Fill us to overflowing. And give us a zeal for you. We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.